Chapter Twenty Six of Agincourt, A Romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Achievement The Forest of Halate, of which the Great Forest of Chantilly, as it is called, is in fact but an insignificant remnant, was in the days of Philip of Valois one of the most magnificent woods at that time in Europe giving its name to a whole district in the midst of which was situated the fine old palace and abbey of St. Christopher, or St. Christophle en Halate, the scene of many of the most important transactions in French history. I do not find that the palace was much used in the reign of Charles VI, and it was very possibly going to decay, though the abbey attached to it still remained tenanted by its monks, and the forest still afforded the sport of the chase to the French monarchs and their court, being filled with wolves, stags, boars, and even bears, if we may believe the accounts of the time, which were preserved with more care from all but princely hands than even the subjects of the sovereign. The great variety of the ground, the hills, the dales, the fountains, the cliffs that the district presented, the rivers that intersected it, the deep glades and wild savannas of the forest itself, the villages, the towns, the chapels, the monasteries, which nestled themselves, as it were, into its bosom, the profound solitude of some parts, the busy cultivation of others, the desert-like desolation of certain spots, and the soft, calm monotony of seemingly interminable trees, which was to be found in different tracts, rendered the forest of Helate one of the most interesting and changeful scenes through which the wandering foot of man could rove. Whether he sought the city or the hermitage, whether the grave or the gay, whether the sun or the shade, here he might suit his taste, and the mutations of the sky in winter, in summer, in morning, in evening, in sunshine or in clouds, added new changes to each individual spot, and varied still farther a scene which in itself seemed endless in its variety. About three o'clock on the afternoon of a day in early May, with a cool wind stirring the air and some light vapours floating across the heaven, a gentleman, completely armed except the head, with a lance on his shoulder and a page carrying his casque behind him, rode slowly into one of the wide savannas, following a peasant with a staff in his hand, who seemed to be showing him the way. His horse bore evident signs of having been ridden far that day, without much time for the grooms to do their office in smoothing down his dark brown coat. But nevertheless, though somewhat rough and dusty, the stout beast seemed no way tired, and, to judge by his quick and glancing eye, his bending crest, and the eager rounding of his knee, as if eager to put forth his speed, one would have supposed that he had rested since his journey, and tasted his share of corn." "'Aye, there is a picker of the hunt,' said the gentleman, marking with a glance a man, clothed in green and brown, who stood holding a brace of tall dogs at the angle of one of the roads leading into the heart of the forest. "'You have led us right, good fellow. There is your guerdon.' The peasant took the money, and as it was somewhat more than had been promised, made a low, rude bow and stumped away, and the gentleman, turning to his page, beckoned him up. "'Think you, Will, that you have French enough?' he asked in English, when the boy was close to him, "'to tell them where we are, and what to do.' "'Oh, I will make them understand,' replied the page, with all the confidence of youth. 
I picked up a few words in Ghent, and a few more as we came along, and what tongue won't do, hand and head must. Well, give me the cask, said his master, and you take my barret. And receiving the chapelle de fer from the boy's hands, he placed it on his head, raising the visor till it rested against the crest, and rode slowly on towards the attendant of the chase, who, with all the sportsman's eagerness, was watching down the avenue attentively. "'Good morning, my friend,' said the gentleman in French. "'Good afternoon, sir,' answered the piqueur, for the vulgar are always very careful to be exact in their time of day. He did not look round, however, and the stranger went on to inquire if the king were not hunting in the forest. The man now turned and eyed the questioner. His splendid arms showed that he was a gentleman, and he was alone, so that no treason could be intended. "'Yes, sir,' replied the piqueur, "'I expect him this way every minute. "'Do you want to see him?' "'Why, not exactly,' said the stranger. "'Some of the people told me the good Duke of Burgundy was with him, "'and as it is he with whom I want to speak, "'if their report be true, it may save me a ride to Paris.' "'The good Duke is with the King,' rejoined the man, "'but slife I know not whether he will be so for long. "'For fortune alters favour, they say, "'and times have changed of late.' though it is no business of mine, and so I say nothing, but the Duke was ever a friend to the commons, and to the citizens of Paris more than all. "'Have they had good sport to-day?' demanded Richard of Woodville, for doubtless the reader has already discovered one of the interlocutors in this dialogue. "'Tis somewhat late in the year, is it not, Picur? "'Aye, that it is for sundry kinds of game,' replied the man, "'but there are some not out.' and others just coming in, and we are obliged to suit ourselves to the poor old king's health. He is free just now from his black sickness, and would have had a glorious day of it, had not Achille, the subveneur, who is always wrong, and always knows better than anyone else, mistaken which way the beast lay. But hark, they are blowing the death, the beast has been killed, and not passed this way, foul fall him. My dogs have not had breath to-day. "'Then they will not come hither, I suppose,' said Richard of Woodville. "'Oh, yes, tis a thousand chances to one they will,' answered the man. "'If they force another beast, they must quit that ground and cross the road to Sonley. "'And if they return with what they have got, they must take the Paris Avenue, "'so that in either case they will come here.' "'While he spoke, there was a vast howling of dogs and blowing of horns at some distance, "'and Woodville, trusting to the piqueur's sagacity for the direction the court would take, waited patiently till the sounds accompanying the curé were over, and then gazed down the avenue. In about ten minutes some horsemen began to appear in the road, and then a splendid party issued forth from one of the side alleys, followed by a confused crowd of men, horses and dogs. They came forward at an easy pace, and Richard of Woodville inquired of his companion which was the Duke of Burgundy. "'What, do you not know him?' said the man in some surprise. "'Well, keep back, and I will tell you when they are near.' The young Englishman, without reply, reined back his horse for a step or two, so as to take up a position beyond the projecting corner of the wood, and while the piqueur continued gazing down the avenue, still holding his dogs in the leash, Woodville turned a hasty glance behind him to see if he could discover anything of his page. The boy was nearer than he thought, but but was wisely coming round the back of the savannah, where the turf was soft and somewhat moist, so that his approach escaped both the eyes and ears of the royal attendant, 
till approaching his master's side, he said something which, though spoken in a low tone, made the man turn round. At the same moment, however, the first two horsemen passed out of the road into the open space, and immediately after the principal party appeared. At its head, a step before any of the rest, came a man seemingly past the middle age, with grey hair and a noble presence, but with cheeks channelled and withered, more by sickness and care than years. His eye was peculiarly clear and fine, and not a trace was to be seen therein of that fatal malady which devoured more than one half of his days. His aspect, indeed, was that of a person of high intellect, and though his shoulders were somewhat bowed, and his seat upon the horse not very firm, there were remains of the great beauty of form and dignity of carriage which had distinguished the unhappy Charles in earlier days. Close behind the king came a youth of eighteen or nineteen years of age, with a fine but somewhat fierce and haughty countenance, a cheek colourless and bare, and a bright but haggard eye, and near him rode a somewhat younger lad of a fresher and more healthy complexion, round whose lip there played ever and anon a gay and wanton smile. Almost on a line with these were three or four gentlemen, one far advanced in years and one very young, while the personage nearest the spot where Richard of Woodville sat seemed still in the lusty prime of manhood, stout but not fat, broad in the shoulders, strong in the limbs, though not much above the middle height. He was dressed in high boots and long striped hose of blue and red, with a close-fitting pourpoint of blue and a long mantle with furred sleeves hanging down to his stirrups. On his head he bore a cap of fine cloth, shaped somewhat like an Indian turban, with a large and splendid ruby in the front, and a feather drooping over his left ear. His carriage was princely and frank, his eye clear and steadfast, and about his lip there was a firm and resolute expression, which well suited the countenance of one who had acquired the name of John the Bold. "'If that not be the Duke of Burgundy,' said Richard of Woodville to the piqueur in a low tone, as the party advanced, "'I am very much mistaken.' "'Yes, yes,' replied the man, nodding his head, "'that he is, God bless him, and that is the Duke of Aquitaine, the king's son, just before him, and there is the Duke of Bavaria on the other side.' The young Englishman did not wait to hear enumerated the names of all the personages of the royal train, but as soon as the king himself had passed, rode up at once to the Duke of Burgundy, who turned round and gazed at him with some surprise, while the young, pale Duke of Aquitaine bent his brow, frowning upon him with an inquiring yet ill-satisfied look. "'My lord the Duke,' said Woodville, tendering the letter he had received from de Ruc, "'I bear you this from Flanders.' The Duke took it, and, without checking his horse but merely throwing the bridle over his arm, opened the letter and looked at the contents. Ha! he exclaimed as he read. Ha! I thank you, sir. And making a sign for Richard and his page to follow, he spurred on and passed the two young princes to the side of the king. This gentleman, sire, he said, displaying the letter, brings me troublous tidings from my poor county of Flanders, which call for my immediate presence, and therefore, though unwilling to leave you, royal sir, at a time when my enemies are strong in your capital and court, I must even take my leave in haste, but I will return with all convenient speed. The king had drawn his bridle, and, turning round, gazed from the duke to Richard of Woodville, with a look of hesitation. But after a moment's pause he answered, with a cold and constrained air, 
"'Well, Duke of Burgundy, if it must be so, go. "'A fair journey to you, cousin.' "'And without farther adieu, he gave a glance to his sons and rode on. "'The Duke of Burgundy bowed low and held in his horse "'while the royal party passed on, "'exchanging no very placable looks with the young Duke of Aquitaine, "'his son-in-law, and giving a sign to four or five gentlemen "'who were following in the rear, but immediately fell out of the train "'and ranged themselves around him. "'Who are you, sir?' demanded the prince, turning to Woodville, while the king and his court proceeded slowly towards a distant part of the savannah, and, by the movements of different gentlemen round the Duke of Aquitaine, there seemed to be some hurried consultation going on. "'An English gentleman, my lord, attached to the Count, your son,' replied Woodville, without farther explanation. But seeing that a number of men completely armed, who followed the principal body of courtiers, had been beckoned up, he added, "'Methinks, fair sir, there is not much time to lose.' "'Yonder is the way. I am not alone.' Without reply, the Duke gave one quick glance towards the royal party, set spurs to his horse, and rode quickly along the road to which Woodville pointed. He had hardly quitted the savannah and entered the long, broad avenue, however, when the sound of a horse's feet at the full gallop came behind, and a voice exclaimed, "'My lord, my lord the Duke, the King has some words for your ear.' It was a single cavalier who approached, but the quick ear of Richard of Woodville caught the sound of other horse following, though the angle of the wood cut off the view of the royal train. "'Good faith,' answered the Duke, turning his head towards the messenger, but without stopping. "'They must be kept for another moment. My business will have no delay.' But even as he spoke, he caught sight of a number of men-at-arms following the first, and just entering the alley in a confused and scattered line. "'But you must, my lord,' exclaimed the gentleman who had just come up. "'I have orders to use force.' The Duke and his attendants laid their hands upon their swords, but Woodville raised his lance high above his head and shook it in the air, shouting, "'Ho there, ho, ride on, my lord, ride on, I will stay them.' "'Now gold spurs for a good lance,' cried the Duke of Burgundy, "'but I will not let you fight alone, my friend.' And wheeling his horse, he formed his little troop across the road." "'Ho there, ho!' shouted Woodville again, and instantly he heard a horn answering from the wood. "'The first man is mine, my lord,' he cried, setting his lance in the rest and drawing down his visor. "'Fall back upon our friends behind. You are unarmed.' And spurring on his charger at full speed, he passed the king's messenger, who was only habited in the garments of the chase, towards a man-at-arms who was coming at full speed some fifty yards in advance of the party sent to arrest the duke. His adversary instantly charged his lance likewise. No explanation was needed, and the two cavaliers met in full shock between the parties. The spear of the Frenchman struck right on Woodville's cuirass, and broke it into splinters, but the lance-head of the young Englishman caught his opponent on the gorget, and without wavering in his seat he bore him back over the croup to the ground. Then wheeling rapidly he galloped back to the Duke's side, while, at a brisk pace, but in perfect order, his band came up under the young Lord of Long, and the English archers, springing to the ground, put their arrows to the strings and drew the bows to the ear, waiting for the signal to let fly the unerring shaft. "'Hold, hold!' cried the Duke. "'Gallantly done, noble sir. You have saved me, but let us not shed blood unnecessarily.' And casting his eye over Woodville's troop, he added, "'We outnumber them far. They will never dare attack us.' 
As he spoke, the men-at-arms of France paused in their advance, and some of the foremost, dismounting from their horses, raised the overthrown cavalier from the ground, and were seen unlacing his casque. At the same time, the gentleman who had first followed the Duke of Burgundy began quietly retreating towards his friends, and though the Duke called to him aloud to stop, showed no disposition to comply. "'Shall I bring him back, noble Duke?' exclaimed the young Lord of Long, eager to win some renown. "'Yes, right after him, young sir,' said John the Bold. "'Remember, he is unarmed,' cried Richard of Woodville, seeing the youth couch his lance, and fearing that he might forget in his enthusiasm the usages of war. "'You are of a right chivalrous spirit, sir,' said the Duke, turning to the young Englishman. "'Do you know, my Lord of Riffield, who is that gentleman whom he unhorsed just now?' "'The Count de Vaudemont, I think,' replied the nobleman to whom he spoke. "'I saw him at the head of the men-at-arms in the forest.' "'Oh, yes, it is he,' rejoined another. "'Did you not see the cross-crosslets on his housings?' "'A good knight and stout cavalier, as ever couched a lance,' observed the Duke of Burgundy. "'The young kestrel has caught the hawk,' he continued, as the Lord of Long, riding up to him of whom he had been in pursuit, brought him back, apparently unwillingly, towards the Burgundian party. "'Ah, my good Lord of Vertu!' exclaimed John the Bold. You have gone back with half your message. Fie, never look white, man. We will not hurt you, though we have strong hands amongst us, as you have just seen. Offer my humble duty to the king, and tell him that I should at once have obeyed his royal mandate to return, but that my affairs are very urgent, and that I knew not how long I might be detained to hear his royal will. And what am I to say to our lord?' asked the Count de Vertu, for Monsieur de Voldemort, his son's bosom friend, overthrown by your people, and well-nigh killed, I fear. My daughter ought to be his son's bosom friend, replied the Duke sharply, but she is not, it seems, and as to Monsieur de Voldemort, perhaps you had better tell the King that he was riding too fast and had a fall. It will be more to his credit than if you say— that he met a squire of Burgundy in fair and even course, and was unhorsed like a clumsy page. And now, my lord of Vertu, I give you the good time of day. You said something about force just now, but methinks you will forget it, and so will I. Thus saying, the duke turned his horse and rode away down the avenue. The English archers sprang upon their steeds again, and Richard of Woodville, beckoning the young lord of Long to halt, caused his whole troop to file off before him and then with his companion brought up the extreme rear. A number of the French men-at-arms followed at a respectful distance, till the party entered the village of Florine, in the forest, but there, having satisfied themselves that there was no greater body of the men of Burgundy in the neighbourhood, which might have rendered the king's journey back to Paris somewhat dangerous, they halted and retired. The duke had turned round to watch their proceedings more than once, nor did he take any farther notice of Richard of Woodville till the French party were gone. When they were no longer in sight, however, he called him to his side and questioned him regarding himself. "'I do not remember you about my son, fair sir,' he said, "'and I am not one to forget men who act as you have done today. "'I have been in your territories, my lord duke, but a short time,' replied Richard of Woodville, "'as I came seeking occasions of honour to the most chivalrous court in Europe.' and as I was furnished with letters from my sovereign to yourself and to your son, 
vouching graciously for my faith, the Count was kindly pleased to give me a share in anything that was to be done today. Happening to be in the saddle this morning, somewhat before the rest of the Lord of Luke's troops, and my horses being somewhat fresher, the good old knight sent me on, thinking you might need aid before you reached the rendezvous you had given him. Aye, he judged right, replied the Duke, and had I known as much when I wrote to him as I learned yesterday, I would have had him at the gates of Paris, for my escape at all has been a miracle. They only put off arresting me or stabbing me in my hotel till the king returned from his hunting, in order to guard against a rising of the citizens. Have you this letter from King Henry about you? My page has it in his wallet, noble duke, replied the young Englishman. Will you please to see it? John nodded his head, and calling up the boy, Richard of Woodville took the letter from him and placed it in the prince's hands. The duke opened and read it with a smile. Then, turning to Woodville, he said, You justify the praises of your king, and his request shall be attended to by me, as in duty bound. Men look to him, sir, with eyes of expectation, and have a foresight of great deeds to come. His friendship is dear to me, and every one he is pleased to send shall have honour at my hands, for his sake. Ah, there is Pont Saint-Maxence, and the bright was. De Rouque is probably there by this time. I doubt it not, my lord, answered Richard of Woodville. He could not be far behind. Who is that youth? demanded the duke, who seems your second in the band. One of your own vassals, noble sir, replied the English gentleman, full of honour and zeal for your service, who will some day make an excellent soldier. He is the young lord of Long. Ah, said the duke in a sorrowful tone, I have bad news for him. His uncle Charles is a prisoner in Paris, taken out of my very house before my eyes, and I doubt much they will do him to death. Break it to him calmly this evening, sir. But see, here are several of good old Duroc's party looking out for us. Methinks he would not have heard bad tidings of his duke without riding to rescue him. Thus saying, he spurred on, meeting, ere he reached Pont-Saint-Maxence, one or two small bodies of men-at-arms who saluted him as he passed, shouting, Burgundy! Burgundy! and fell in behind the band of Richard of Woodville. The single street of the small town was crowded with people, and before the doors of the two inns which the place then possessed were seen the company of the Lord of Rook, with the men dismounted, feeding their horses, but all armed and prepared to spring into the saddle at a moment's notice. The approach of the Duke was greeted by a loud shout of welcome, not alone from his own soldiers, but also from the people of the town, for in the northern and eastern provinces of France, as well as in the capital, John the Bold was the most popular prince of the time. De Rouque immediately advanced on foot to hold his stirrup, but his lord grasped him by the hand and wrung it hard, saying, "'I am safe, you see, old friend, thanks to your care and this young gentleman's conduct.' "'Aye, I thought he would do well,' replied the old soldier, "'for he is up in the morning early.' "'He has done well,' said the duke, dismounting, "'and turning to Woodville, who had sprung from his horse, he said, "'You rightly deserve some honour at my hands. "'Though we have no spurs ready, I will dub you now, "'and we will arm you afterwards at Lille. "'Kneel down.' "'Richard of Woodville bent his knee to the ground "'before the crowd that had gathered round, "'and drawing his sword, the Duke of Burgundy addressed to him,' as usual, a short speech on the duties of chivalry, concluding with the words, Thus remember that this honour is not alone a reward for deeds past, but an encouragement to deeds in future. 
It is a bond as well as a distinction, by which you are held to right the wronged, to defend the oppressed, to govern yourself discreetly, to serve your sovereign lord, and to be the friend and protector of women, children, and the weak and powerless. Let your lance be the first in the fight, let your purse be open to the poor and needy, let your shield be the shelter of the widow and orphan, and let your sword be ever drawn in the cause of your king, your country, and your religion. In the name of God, St. Michael, and St. George, I dub you knight, be loyal, true, and valiant. At each of these last words he struck him, a light stroke with the blade of his sword upon the neck, and the crowd around, well pleased with every piece of representation, uttered a loud acclamation as the young knight rose, and the duke took him in his arms and embraced him warmly. Old Duruk and the nobleman who had accompanied John the Bold from the forest grasped the young Englishman's hand one by one, and the duke, turning to the Lord of Lon, added with a gracious smile, "'I trust to do the same for you, young sir, ere long.' In the meanwhile, that you may have occasion to win your chivalry, I name you one of my squires, and by God's grace you will not be long without something to do. The youth kissed his hand joyfully, and the duke retired to the inn. Richard of Woodville paused for a moment to distribute some handfuls of money amongst the crowd, who were crying, Largesse, around, and then followed the old Lord of Rook to give him information of all that had taken place in the forest of Halate, before they proceeded together to receive the farther orders of the Duke of Burgundy. End of chapter 26